1: Let me just put this on, Simon.
2: Should I call you Professor Green or Stephen? Stephen. OK.
1: <laughs> I'm not meatloaf. I'm not going to insist that you call me Meat. Professor. I know. I mean, that is quite funny. It's mentally yours, from Ellen and i focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours
2: so when did you first experience depression
1: mine presented as anxiety from a really really young age Um, everything was always a little bit more difficult than it should have been and I'm a fighter I'm I'm pretty blimmin' resilient as has been proven with all the times I've had to bounce back which you do get a bit bored of despite understanding that you are strong with that comes all the, the other stuff as well um, but as a kid, I used to say, nah, I've got a bellyache. And I didn't have a bellyache. But because I'd had an operation when I was a baby, it was straight to the doctors. And all that did was feed my fear. And I started to then believe that there was something wrong. And, you know, it, it was just, it was really, really difficult because I didn't have the language to explain that I was anxious. It wasn't a stomachache. And no one ever suggested it to me. You know, I didn't have the language and I definitely didn't have the tools to deal with it and that that was present for the larger part of my life
2: how did it manifest when you say about stomach ache did you actually feel it in your stomach
1: yeah completely
2: I remember having that as well sort yeah. of before pretty much every Sunday night before school but um did you suffer things like panic attacks as well or
1: it got to points where I wanting to Scratch my skin you know what I mean I felt uncomfortable in my own skin at points but it's weird people always say how can you suffer with anxiety and then get on stage and perform in front of all those people but I don't find that anxiety inducing weirdly
2: do you get anxious beforehand
1: no no I get excited but then maybe that is I, I'd like a, again I think perspective is really important because once you harness there there were times in the beginning when i was nervous but once you begin to i understand now that that's actually excitement it's the feeling of something big about to happen and that's a really important energy to have because you walk out and you give that extra 10 percent because of that so if you can harness that and interpret as excitement as opposed to anxiety it's really bloody good for you Uh, it has a healthy purpose in that place and it also means I care if I didn't have that feeling before I went on stage I'd worry that I'd become complacent and bored and I'm definitely not
2: but it can obviously sort of manifest in sort of bad ways as well has there been any sort of times when it's stopped you living sort of a straightforward life
1: yeah but more at home you know I always manage to get through work no matter what's going on I was going to say to my own detriment, but not really because, I don't know, it depends where you pin success. It's like, it's one thing being able to come here, sit and have a conversation with person after person and put a face on it. But then I have to deal with what I'm actually feeling. Um, but that's, that's life. For any- oh, sugar, you broke something. Um, but that's life for everyone. And I guess understanding that we all have problems is something that's really important for people to know because success doesn't absolve you of that. But I, you know, when I encounter people, which it happens often when I'm walking up and down the road or going to get shopping from Sainsbury's or any other supermarket. Um, Oh, shit, this ain't BBC. I don't even have to say that. Fuck. Say what you like. (laughs) Um, But, you know, no one knows what no one knows what has gone on in my day. You know, no one knows if my dog's died. So I never hold anyone else responsible for that. And I never project my you know, my anxieties or my stresses on other people, apart from those closest to me, which is something I'm really trying to learn not to do because, yeah, it doesn't feel very good.
2: I think a lot of us are guilty of doing that, though. You know, putting a professional face on and then when you come home, you then, you get the nasty side. It all sort of comes out. But it's
1: just like, it's crazy. you think about it, the people you love the most get the least of you. That's been the hardest part about my job. I never thought of that. Are there
2: any sort of particular methods or things that help you in terms of anxiety when it does manifest like breathing techniques or is it sort of staying with the routines you mentioned earlier like the gym and sleep and stuff
1: you know what some it just it's a bugger it really is because there's no rules there's no rhyme or reason my life is as good as it ever has been and yet for the last few weeks for the first time in years I've been waking up with a knot in my stomach and I don't know if that's relating to therapy because I'm starting to unpick things and things are coming to the surface or if there's something else but it's part of I guess it's, it's all part of learning to understand oneself and we change you know, I had a really good understanding of myself at a point and then I encountered certain things in my life which I'm still catching up on.
2: It's a process though, isn't it? And like you say, with mental health, it's not, unfortunately, it's very, really kind of like a start and a finish. In a,
1: it's ongoing. In a but listen, I think we're all works in progress. And I understood that when I, I was sat in a room full of largely, hugely successful people who were a lot, I say a lot, I'm getting on now. I was going to say a lot older than me, not that much older. Um, But, you know, you would imagine from the outside that they had life down to a T. And what I learned from the conversations that we had is they're winging it like everyone else. No one's got a bloody clue. And that was actually really refreshing, you know, to see someone who, who I was, you know, in somewhat in awe of. Everyone's normal, we're all going through the same thing This world is the same place for all of us Obviously there are differences But ultimately everyone is just winging it We don't know what we're doing here, do we? Trying to make the best of it You know, I'm, I'm lucky there's been some brilliant moments in my career um, And it's always great to feel elated um, But there's times when it's stressful And it, you know, it's just learning to manage these things And understanding that stress is always going to be present in life For as long as you interpret it as stress it's all about perspective.
2: So when you're work- working on an album, looking at the music side of things, first of all, or an EP like Moth, what are the challenges in terms of your mental health there?
1: There isn't any challenges really there, apart from getting music out. I don't find it... I mean, I, I'm at a really good place creatively in that I used to worry about going to the studio and not being able to come up with something because I, I was new to working in that environment and walking into sessions with people I'd never met. And you know, ultimately, like you have to, you, you can only express yourself as far as you're confident enough to. But my confidence grew in that. I don't write things on paper. I walk around gesticulating, saying stuff. I look like a madman talking to myself. Um, but I do that until I get what's right and I enjoy it. Like it, it that. That, if anything, it has a positive effect on my mental health because it's so much fun creating. It really, really is. And building those relationships with people when you meet someone for the first time in a studio. And you have to, like, I don't play instruments, but I write guitar lines and piano melodies just by humming stuff. But when I'm working with a producer and I'm trying to articulate what's in my head, and it's not words because it's sounds, it's quite funny. But you, you have to, like, you have to be willing to look or sound stupid in order to get there. You have to get over the worry of, of, of looking stupid. Do you know what I mean? Half the reason people don't say they don't dance is because they're embarrassed. Once you get over that, you can do anything.
2: What about mental health in terms of stuff like touring? Because that must be interesting.
1: Um, I've done dry tours. I've done wet tours, soaking wet tours. Um, tours good for routine weirdly because albeit a bad routine sometimes you know what's happening you're getting on a bus you're going to bed and you're waking up in another city but you're waking up at relatively the same time um and i wasn't afforded that kind of routine unless i was on tour for a while because of how things were um i've managed to build quite a lot of routine into my life at home now and home is somewhere that is home and not just the place i'm renting that's just a house Um, and there's a really big difference between a house and a home. It was really weird. The tour that I did was Incredible the response after all these years to still be able to set out shows and get that kind of response to new music as well As old was amazing. But that said I was homesick I really was I missed my life at home And I haven't had that before you think it's crazy in it 36 and I'm homesick for the first time But It's because of what I've made for myself is a home
2: yeah, one of your latest tracks while on the EP is at um, home, isn't it? Yeah. yeah,
1: and it's about the house I live in and just how alien that space felt for a little while because of, of someone who was in it.
2: Can you tell me a bit more about the routine that you said was helpful for you?
1: Yeah, sleep. <laughs> Number one, um, I read a book recently called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker and it was, it was scary, to be honest, um, because I, I've suffered with sleep problems. Uh, on and off for many many years and then i've also had a lot of fun which hasn't involved me sleeping much over the years sometimes on tour as you can imagine um and yeah just realizing how important it is you know in the book it says you can take all the supplements you you want in the world you can exercise you can you know be as healthy as you possibly can in every other aspect of your life but if you're not getting sufficient good quality sleep then there's no point Sleep's that integral to everything. And I notice it myself, if I don't sleep well, everything becomes unmanageable, everything. And we kind of, we live in a society where we reward ourselves at the end of a stressful week with a drink, which is not necessarily the best way to reward yourself. So I'm much more in the habit now of rewarding myself with a good night's sleep and early night. I'm not shy of a nine o'clock bedtime.
2: Sounds like a dream.
1: But yeah, that, and then I guess walking the dogs, going to the gym. A nice boring, like, uh, but I know it's boring, but just for me, I don't go to the gym because I want a six-pack. I go to the gym because if I don't use my body, I feel like crap. By oh, way, I can swear. I feel like shit.
2: <laughs> swear all you want. Fuck. <laughs> um, bit of a serious, big question now, I guess. So you grew up in a council estate in Hackney. Can we talk a bit about the link between class poverty and mental illness?
1: Yeah, it's rife. the science of social deprivation it's well documented um people are aware it's uh it's and it's just uh, it's always i say funny but it's not really but you hear politicians talk about the result of what ultimately is coming from decisions that they're making because people are forced to live in certain social situations which lead to them ending up in the situations they're in yes we all have a choice but when you're offered certain things and you're certain things are i think i was eight the first time um someone got stabbed in my estate so that's normalized because it happens so frequently people don't realize that yes you should care about the result of the crimes that people commit and the victims of but the people committing the crimes are also suffering with mental health conditions because it's not normal. The the act of stabbing someone, to be able to do that, that's not normal. I don't think many of us are born with that in us. But to be forced into a situation where you do do that you know, and it becomes normalised, that's damaging. People who go to prison become institutionalised. We could talk about this quite a lot. I'm quite passionate about it. Because it, it's, it's difficult being born on your back foot. But that's not to say that growing up in privilege doesn't come with its problems. Ultimately, life comes with problems. It's just about having the tools to to deal with those in a healthy fashion, which is why I think therapy is such a good thing, which is why I think my online therapy is such a good thing because of how it's so accessible.
2: Why did you want to get involved with them?
1: Because it's aligned with everything that I believe in. And it, it can really help. I'm talking from experience, I go to therapy, I believe in therapy, Um, and do you know I believe in therapy if you can go and sit in a room and be honest, because there's no point in sitting in that room and lying, which is really scary, because you have to tell someone your biggest fears, your biggest insecurities, but in doing that, the strength that you find in yourself is unparalleled, it gives you the confidence to, to live in a way that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. Therapy isn't just for people in crisis, you know, it it can help anyone.
2: What do you think some of the barriers are for people to accessing therapy?
1: I think there's many barriers. Uh, Stigma is a huge one. Cost, where you live, waiting lists. Some people um, have mobility issues, physical problems, which means they can't access therapy. Cultural problems you know certain backgrounds don't lend themselves to ever asking for help because it's looked upon as weakness um but actually stifling your vulnerabilities is the weakness strength lies in owning those
2: is there a particular kind of therapy that's helped you in particular
1: um i'm not sure actually what the type of therapy that i do is called. i, I talk it's conversational um
2: that's fairly traditional yeah
1: kind of yeah it definitely has a name which I'm not aware of
2: rather than say CBT I, or I tried
1: CBT and CBT wasn't and it may have just been that I was with the the wrong therapist which again is why I think my online therapy is brilliant because of their success rate in pairing people with the right therapist by you know with the information they take you know that's, that's a huge start because some people build up the courage to go to a therapist anxiety is another barrier as well you know it's, it's scary if someone already suffers with anxiety the likelihood of them taking that step to get help is less um but yeah taking information from people and being able to use that information to pair them with the right therapist from the get-go is a huge advantage because a lot of people have a bad experience when they go to therapy for the first time because it's someone that you know for whatever reason they don't they don't gel with and it's incredibly difficult to get anything out of therapy if you were the wrong person you need to build up that rapport and that trust that has to be a safe space and with the platform being able to start that conversation from your safe place, if home is a safe place, I would hope it is, and uh, that's a really good first step for someone who wants to get therapy and what I think is brilliant is a lot of people who sign up and begin using the service by way of phone or online um, they gradually build up the confidence to come in for sessions and I think that's Uh, yeah that's great so it's more than
2: just a digital platform because the the essence of it is that you're basically somebody talking to a therapist from home um on a phone or a computer
1: well think about a single parent who has no time to leave the house and can't leave the kid you know you this offers access to absolutely everyone access to therapy which is it can't be a bad thing i think
2: it's a similar service is available on the NHS, but it can be a long time to get it. My co-host, Ellen, um, actually had it at one point. Um, have you tried it yourself?
1: I haven't, because I have a therapist who I have a relationship with that... if You don't cheat on your barber, dear. <laughs> Otherwise you end up with a bad haircut. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm making progress with the person that I see. And I was introduced to my online therapy at a point after which I'd started therapy, so... Mm. I haven't used the service, but it, it would yeah, it would be weird to start from the very beginning again.
2: Can we talk a bit about your dad? Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so your dad took his own life when you were twenty-four. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, how did that affect you?
1: Um, hugely. Um, I mean, how, how would it affect anyone? All those unanswered questions, the fact that we never—you know—so I, I, I originally was very selfish as to why I was upset. He took away the chance for us to ever build a relationship as adults. You know, I never had a pint of beer with my dad. I never got to do many of the things that people do with their parents. And that's still difficult till this day. For the most part, I can talk about it without having to engage in those emotions. But sometimes I can't help but fall back into what I felt and those feelings come up. But the more present they are, the less power they have over you. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about any of the things relating to mental health had that not have happened. I've had messages from people as severe as saying, after I saw your documentary, I could never, ever... And this was someone who had, had two suicide attempts, failed, thankfully. And he said, he, seeing the effect it had on me, he could never do that to his children again. Like, that's you know you never expect to have that kind of impact or to be able to help anyone when you're just talking about something that you went through but even through music it it helps it helped me when i was a kid listening to music my only (laughs) my only peace and quiet was when i had my headphones on um and it was artists that put themselves in their music and spoke about things that i was struggling with and i could relate to that i favored so when i started writing music i'd done the exact same thing And it's funny, people always talk about cycles in the negative, but that's actually a positive cycle from listening to music that helped me to making music that's helped others. Selfishly, I don't do it for that reason. I walk into the studio and I say whatever I want to say.
2: Why do you think it's still so hard for so many people to talk about suicide, whether they've been directly affected by it or not?
1: It's a pretty shitty thing to talk about, isn't it? great way to empty a room Ooh, sweet yeah I was having a really good time and then you uh, wanted to talk about your dad hanging himself Ooh, but you have to be that brazen with it like I don't if someone made, but at the same do you know what it is as well is everyone's scared people tiptoe around things if someone made a joke about suicide I'd probably laugh you know I don't sit around waiting to be offended like so many people do nowadays especially on social media Jesus Christ the PC police are everywhere along with the grammar police who can all go in the bin um Just because it's not something that it's not a very pleasant conversation. But it exists, it happens, statistically, I think I'm not sure what the figures are for females, but they're definitely getting worse for men. So despite all of this you know, all of the conversations that are being had, everything that's in the media, the prominence of mental health issues and the fact they need to be addressed and people need support in places where they need them, it's not getting better. So we need you know, we've we've got a long way to go, I think, before things start to really improve.
2: How do you think we can support men with mental health issues?
1: In the same way um, that anyone would need support, really. But I guess by encouraging them to understand that I think there's a real problem with behaviours applied to genders. And being a man should be able to encompass all things. You should be able to be sensitive and be a man and it's just it's funny you know like I always found it funny even from a kid when like someone would be like oh what are you being a girl for in my head I was raised by really strong women so really strong women so if I'm a girl cool because the women I know are strong you know for the larger part stronger the most than most of the men that I know because those you know it it's taken me a long time to get to a place where I'm entirely comfortable discussing things and I don't discuss everything you know unless i'm with someone who i trust implicitly but those i do discuss everything and i don't feel any way about it it doesn't make me less of a man to have feelings actually what caused me a lot of problem for the larger part of my life was trying to stifle those feelings and what happens you get anger anger is basically adult fear fight or flight i'm gonna fight because i'm a man and i've got to i can't run from anything so you know he wants to spend their life angry
2: it's a really interesting thing anger is basically adult fear I've never heard that but I think it's because I made it up oh no but it's really it's really <laughs> interesting I can think about that
1: I've long said that but it is and it took me a while even after saying it to really put it into into practice and start to understand that when I feel insecure I respond irrationally sometimes because I'm made to feel insecure and as a kid if someone shouted you shouted louder and what a crap existence and you know anger feels horrible there is no pain worse than the pain you cause people you love it really isn't man it's the it's the worst feeling in the world so you feel crap because you feel angry and then you say or do something and then you feel even worse because now you've upset someone else when all you've done is project your insecurities it's, it's you know it's something that i think a lot of people could could do with better understanding
2: what kind of practical advice would you give to somebody who say has a friend whose parent or friend or partner has died by suicide because i think around any kind of bereavement it can be hard to know what to say at all
1: yeah don't avoid it don't avoid it also don't push if someone doesn't want to talk about it don't but just don't avoid it you know we we often avoid the things that we need to to take face on head on sorry but It's it's important not to, you know, don't avoid someone. Be there, you know, is really the only advice I have. And and to anyone that's, you know, that's that's experienced it and that's lost someone to suicide, you can't spend your days wondering why. That's not... The only way you'd ever... I I realised this quite quickly when my dad took his own life because I was desperate to know how he could have done it. It was a very... He had a very violent death. He hung himself. And he wasn't a violent person. He was passive. I never understood how he found it in him to do it. And then I realised that the only way I'd ever truly understand was if I was in that place myself, and that's not somewhere I'm ever going. So I let that go. At that point, he took to the grave what he did that for and what his reasons were, and that was his choice. And in the state that he was in, there was probably some nobility in what he did. And it's just a shame that he never saw any other way out.
2: How have you found the kind of responsibility that comes with talking so openly about suicide and making, you know, the documentary that you did, talking on your podcast because you must get a huge response from people who relate to that. Mm. How do you deal with that sort of the weight of that or do you find it a weight?
1: Um I do find it a weight, but I just point people towards a service that can help them because I'm not a trained psychologist and it would be really 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 irresponsible of me to try and offer help. Um But, yeah, I get a lot of messages. Uh, You know, a lot of them are are just people being really grateful. But it's still kind of sad because even in someone saying thank you for doing what you do, what they're also saying is thank you because I'm affected by mental health issues, be it first or second hand. And you just become aware of how widespread the problems are
2: other than talking about it more, which I think is happening a lot more, mm. um, what do we need to do next as a I, society and in individually?
1: Yeah, I think awareness is is the first step and after that comes understanding and then after that, hopefully some resolve. But people are always going to suffer with mental health issues. I don't think it's something that can be cured, but I do think there's definitely things that can be done to, to make it less likely. Yeah. And I think the earlier these problems are are caught sometimes even before their problems you know prevention is always better than cure and i think you know as part of the curriculum kids kids should be being taught how to how to engage how to interact how to do so healthily i think it'd be a really good really good start
2: yeah Especially from an early age, like you say. So it's less, less stigma in general and it's just more of an open conversation. Completely.
1: And it, just like the tools that yeah. I've learned from therapy. If kids had them, you know, if I was taught these things when I was a kid, my adult life would have been much easier. My entire life beyond that point would have been a lot easier. And that's what I mean about therapy isn't just for people going through crisis. And you know, no one ever, I mean, were you ever taught how to communicate? Apart from learning to speak. You know what I mean? How to handle your emotions, how to deal with things, how to take a breath before you react, how to not be reactive. That None of these things are things are taught. You look at how kids are punished in school. You know, If someone has a lot of energy, what are they told to do? Sit down. Does that make sense? I know what I'm going to do to the kid who has loads of energy and needs to find an avenue for it. I'm going to make him sit down and be still. And then I'm going to exclude him from the classroom. And then I'm going to exclude him from school. Exclusion is a really big problem. That we have you know especially when you look at people who grow up in less privileged back or who are from less privileged backgrounds and i they never really feel excluded
2: what would you say to anyone struggling with their mental health at the moment
1: don't plaster over it with getting plastered bad 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 move
2: is that something that you've done in the past
1: of course everyone does it oh, i've had a bad day let's go for a drink it's just i mean listen we've built villages around public houses. It is ingrained in our society. But uh, reward yourself with a good night's sleep, sit with your thoughts, feel everything. It's the scariest thing to do sometimes, but it's really important. Um and it, it really I mean it it really is. It's it's one of the hardest things to do. But once you start to remove things that help you nullify how you feel you know you're going to have to play catch up and some of that stuff that you should have felt and dealt with from the past is going to come up and out but i live in hope that there's a point beyond that my therapist tells me there is Mentally yours Mentally yours